After the premieres of our interviews on Saturday night, we like to get together for a live show. It isn't Saturday Night Live, but it is Socialist Night Live. Hello and welcome to Socialist Think Tank. Uh, we're here with uh, a very special guest today. Laura will be joining us a little bit later on as well. So for the time being, it is the three of us. But um, what we lack in numbers, we make up for in Ray Goodspeed. Hello, Ray. Hi, uh, all right there. Nice to see you again. What an absolutely amazing interview that we've just um, we've just seen from you. Obviously, we've we've seen it a little bit earlier on, and we were preparing at the very end. To, uh, so we missed the very end of the interview. But what a fantastic interview! And there were so many interesting fun. points really coming from. Fun. Yeah, it's, it's been good, hasn't it? So um, um, nothing better if... than talking about yourself for an hour, is there? It's always great. <laughs> if you're watching online, don't forget to um, like and share and subscribe. I am rubbish at telling people that. I always forget to tell people that. So uh, I'm sure I've got some brownie points, but um, you know, it's normally Laura who tells me off for not saying that. Um, so. Um, and we also are here with Rochelle. Hello. How are you? Who am I? Um, how? No, I I said, am... how are you? We know. Oh, you how are. am I? I was going to say, um, I'm me. Um, <laughs> I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm excited to be talking to Ray. I, I've I watched um, the interview and I had so many questions. So many questions. It's going to be good. Okay. Well, it sounds like a really really good time to ask one. Do you want to ask a question? Um. I wanted to ask about so you know when you were talking about going down in the um in the minibuses and it was like one o'clock in the morning and, and then you got there. Yeah. Did you how did you figure out? Yeah. I know this sounds like a stupid question, but how did you figure out who was stopping where? Like, did people literally just say, like, come on, you're coming with me? And like just just in like accept everybody with open arms. Like it's so nice to hear. I know they they knew who were coming. We had a list of people. We sent them a list of people. In a letter, of course, email didn't exist, of course. So we sent a letter of all the people. So I knew how many people were coming and what sexes they were and da-da-da-da-da mm -hmm. and who were couples and so on. Uh, and so we were billeted out. They had a, a schedule of people, you know, uh, just like in the movie, there's people like down to stay at people. But we would normally have just arrived and gone to our houses like refugee children. We'd have just been allocated and the different families would have, would have taken us off and taken off to their house and that had been that. But um, but actually, what happened? We were so late that they'd all gone to bed, or most of them had gone to bed, and so people just slept, slept on slept on Dan's floor, um, on on Di's floor, um, and then we, we we were billeted in the, the following night. I actually, I, me and two mates, we went to stay stay with my lady um, uh, and well, Isloin and Irene Jenkins. We stayed with them that night, so because we. It, they, they, they were had more staying power. They stayed up later waiting for us, so we just went straight there and, and camped. Up. We were in a caravan, and they, they were they were doing up this they were doing up this old sort of church building which they lived in, and and they stuck us in a caravan in the front drive. Wow. So yeah, so we we arrived so late that the people who were billeted, who were who had volunteered to take us had all gone to bed by then. Madness. <laughs> I loved, I love listening. I love listening to all of it. And I also love, like, I didn't know um, that the, like, they would send, like, pretty police in to come and try and, like, catch yeah. us out. Like, I hadn't, I hadn't, genuinely had no idea about that. I mean, clearly, I mean, you know, I don't want to give the impression that, that gay life, I had a really good time in the 80s. My gay social life was better in the 80s than before or since. And there were plenty of clubs and plenty of pubs. Not like gay life became impossible. Mm -hmm. But if they wanted, just suddenly, they, they chose to target a particular venue, 
than they would. The pretty police were mainly used in uh, cottages, as we call them, which is public toilets, male public toilets. Um, and there'd, there'd be people like enticing you to do something you shouldn't be doing in a toilet and then they'd arrest you. Wow. I can't, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in that situation. No, and of course, in those days, the thing was, it wasn't the arrest because you, there were people were often cautioned. They they were rarely in prison. But of course, once you, once you go to court for a, for a, even for a hearing, your name and address is in the is in is in the papers, and your life's finished. God. You're caught in public toilet. You don't need to go to prison. Just the publicity will ruin your life. So. See that 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 makes me think of something that's really interesting, and and it was the way uh, George Michael dealt with that in the video for mm. outside um george michael he was a bit of um um a socialist wasn't he he did he quite a lot of good quite, quite a lot of good in his in his own community really really generous yeah. man and uh and really treated um you know being found out about like you know when when he was um in a public toilet uh, he kind of made a, a bit of a joke of it and i quite i really liked that about your interview when you were saying right if someone's going to insult us We'll take that. We'll take that on, and we'll make it our term. Um, yeah. You know. So, how how did that come about? Was that something that was just known in the in the gay community in the eighties? And I say gay community, but like what, the reclaiming the word thing. Yeah. Oh, it's just no. You, you just always did. I mean, because the thing is, what you get, it's a bit like the N word in the black community. You know, you 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 use the word to yourself in order to disarm it. You know, so as a joke between each other. We would often, you know, as we're getting drunk and sort of larking around and camping it up, we'd say, oh, shut up, you puff, or something, or, you know, get a silly, silly tart. And we'd just say this kind of thing. Um, and, 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 and we'd tease each other of being perverts and queers and shirtlifters and Nancy boys or whatever other nonsense. And the more you make a joke of it, the more absurd it becomes. Um, and so the words don't have it, they lose their ability to hurt. Now, of course, if you are then have that, if you then have that shouted at you by a bunch of skinners on a street corner, you don't find it funny. You leg it as fast as you can, of course. But um, Paul Michael, I mean George Michael, rather George Michael was um, he was because uh, he had he had a position that I mean, he wasn't untouchable. I mean, they could have lost his contract, could have lost his recording contract, could have lost all his sponsors, I guess. But he wasn't going to starve, was he? You know what I mean? He had the ability then to say, "I don't care what you say," you know. He wasn't he wasn't working in a in a he wasn't a teacher he wasn't gonna lose his job over it um and so he was able i'm glad he did it i mean he wasn't good lefty he was a good lefty not just on gay stuff he was a good socialist and he was a good he was he's really good on international like anti-war anti-war anti stuff he was actually and he did he, he gave huge amounts of money to, to people to various campaigns that he completely kept secret until after his death he's one of those few people that actually that he actually did give the money but didn't crow about it you know but instead of all these people that you see on telly saying children in need for this and comic relief for that, George Michael just did it and stayed stum, which is I have great respect for. That is a, a massive thing to respect about him, isn't it? And that, that there's a few people like that, but you know, not many. And you said we didn't really find out about a lot of it until after he died, which is, um, is a bit of a tragedy, really. Well, his death was certainly a tragedy, wasn't it? No, so. him on the fuss. I mean, another one who kept it relatively quiet was. Um, um, Oh, God. Born in the USA guy. What's his name? Um, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. I mean, Springsteen turned up at... Uh, turned, he, was, he was playing somewhere in the north of England. He contacted the Durham Miners and gave 17,000 quid. 
Yeah, you know? yeah. We, we, we basically share that check every year. They, yeah. they share it out through the Durham Miners Association. A couple of nice comments coming in. Uh, Leanne Powell is glad to be back with the Facebook family. Uh, she said YouTube was a bit lonely because no one was commenting over there. So she's back over. But it's great to have you, Leanne. And uh, yeah, um, and we've got Tom Greenwood who said he really enjoyed the interview as well. Please put your comments in the chat if you have any questions because this is a genuine live Q&A. If you want to ask anyone on the panel, probably Ray to be fair because like what would you want to learn from us? But, oh, um, <laughs> but and, and when Laura comes on as well because, uh, you know, with her, with her celebrity and Rochelle as well, but like me... Quite dull, I can't see any of those but, chats, they, Paul. They, they're not, I can't see those those comments. Should I be no. able to see them? Um, I wrong? don't know. If you if you use that little link I sent you, you should be they should be in your URL. But um, it, they're on the screen. They're on the screen. People can see them. So oh, well, um, yeah. So make sure that you're making some comments, telling us a little bit about what's going on, um, and whether you want to know anything from us. So. I want to talk about some sort of like modern issues at the moment with Ray because I know that you're a, a CLP chair, Ray, and I don't want to like trap you in any sort of um, in any sort of way. But at the same time, there's 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 things going on in the Labour Party at the moment, and I know you had a particularly difficult meeting about bins, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, the wheelie bins. <laughs> oh God, the wheel. Don't talk about the wheelie bins. I, I was I was prepared. <laughs> I don't know about resigning for the Labour Party over the witch hunt. So I was prepared to resign for the Labour Party if anybody mentioned the word wheelie bin ever again. Um, it's amazing how enraged people can get about such stuff. But yeah, now we, we had a, a, G, a GC where we we where a, a motion a motion a motion uh, calling upon our conference delegate not to vote for um, David Evans in the conf yeah to confirm him in post in, when conference comes along. That went through with just like. I speak one or two speakers against and one abstention, one vote against. Um, and then, then all hell broke loose over the wheelie bin. You know, we, we were, we were, we were perfectly safe space talking about David Evans, but we were entirely <laughs> unsafe in dealing with wheelie bins. If it had been a physical meeting, I think people would have uh, taken, taken, um, taken their physical retribution on each other. But um, yeah, but there we go. Now, I mean, obviously all joking aside, I mean, the attack from Starmer and um, and David Evans on the left, extraordinary. I mean, you know, let's face it, I didn't vote for Starmer. It will shock you to find out. Um, I voted for Rebecca Long-Bailey and Richard Bergen. Um, and I knew his politics were nothing like mine. I knew his politics were way to the right of mine. I knew he is more right-wing than he said he was. I knew all of that. But the the, the ruthlessness and the uh, and the, the savagery and the and the the arrogance with which they've acted towards towards you know not not people who've committed any kind of acts themselves but just people who've allowed things to be discussed it's extraordinary it's an extraordinary situation to suspend so many of the key activists i mean anybody who's involved in the Labour party knows that the chair and the secretary by and large a couple of others maybe in each in each cc they're, they're the people to keep the party going particularly the secretaries i have to say which is almost like a full-time job um and to, to, to expel so many of to, to suspend so many of those is just an incredible attack on its own local structures you know and then now they're and now they're begging us to all go canvassing and you think well you know 
I, I probably will, but you can be forgiven for not saying, well, no, why should we canvas for you uh, when you treated us this way? I mean, it's, I, I think that would be wrong to do that, but, you know, it's a, it's a shocking thing. And I just wish, you know, I mean, you know, when, when Corbyn was in control, everyone was saying, oh, how the left is like got a Stalinist grip. These thugs, these Trotskyists, Trotskyists who are simultaneously Stalinists, apparently, which is a new one. These Trotskyists and Stalinists who are controlling the Labour Party, they've got an iron grip. My God, if we'd been a tenth as ruthless as this new regime had been, you know, then we'd have seen some real results. I mean, I just wish, actually, that Corbyn had been half as ruthless as this group have been. Um, and I think if ever, if ever the left is in a position again, we need to um, learn a few lessons and not be so nice next time. Do you think there's like layers and layers of bureaucracy to try and stop anything changing within the Labour Party? Because that's, that's been my experience yeah. really like you know even even the way the meetings are structured and you know yeah. coming from one meeting to the next and you've got a month to decide on things and everything's slow and everything you know it's it's a really worrying place if you have something urgent because you can't deal with anything urgent like you know you can deal with it as an executive committee but if you're a democrat very very difficult democracy's slow mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the, the, um, the the situation is labyrinthine and all this. I mean, we had a situation once where they, they, when we were selecting council candidates and, and they it was just after the Corbyn surge in membership and the local people who control our local party, they arranged it so that the, the cutoff date by which you had to have joined the party before you're allowed to vote was like, uh, six months before so but it was like 18 months before the election if you hadn't joined the if you hadn't joined the party 18 months before the election was called you couldn't vote on the council section which actually cut out 40 percent of the members of my local party because obviously it cut out most of the people who joined in the corbyn surge which is i'm sure that was an accident um as you can see but and you think it's just so blatant man and that was that was when that was when the left nominally controlled the leadership and now, of course, they just they can do that with impunity, and they're doing all sorts. We've got an LCF in my borough hasn't met since two thousand since twenty eighteen. The local campaign forum, you know, the, I don't, I guess you have them in Durham as well. The, the, you're the body that sort of organises the party across local ward boundaries and, and inside borough or county boundaries hasn't met since for twenty eight since twenty eighteen. They just don't meet, and if they don't meet, then you if they don't call the meeting, then you can't challenge them or you can't vote them down. Um. It's an extraordinary situation. There's layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy. All these rules about you can have one rule change. If you and if you lose your rule change, you can't discuss it again for three years. And it's just just like the state, you know, having the, you know, if, if you get it through Commons, then you have to get it through the Lords. And then then you get a new left-wing minister, but then they're 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 actively subverted by their own civil servants. And then you get uh, when Corbyn, when somebody thought Corbyn could win, then you get people briefing to the press that the army wouldn't obey him, the secret services didn't trust him. And, all, and you can see the forces of the state, had Corbyn won, it's a very interesting debate as to how the, the secret service and the, and the, and the military and the, and the police and the, the, what we call, what somebody once called bodies of armed men would have actually responded, whether they would have actually carried out Corbyn's instructions, you know? Um, and you just realize that all these things. I mean, why is there a second chamber? People talk about reform in the House of Lords. Why is there a second chamber? All over the world, you've got second chambers. And in every single country, virtually, 
The second chamber is just to delay and to fudge and to give the establishment one last chance. Look at the Senate in America. Just another another way. Like we, so the House of Representatives passed the the the, the new um, the new uh, minimum wage law, the fifteen fifteen dollars minimum wage, and then somebody in the Senate, not even elected official, some official appointed who worked for the Senate, has said, "Oh no, it breaks the rule. You, the Senate can't vote for um, this in this bill. We can't vote for a new uh, minimum wage." And so the minimum wage has fallen, and 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 you think. Yeah, that they'll just find there's always some obscure medieval rule in in Britain which will they'll dig up to say no, you can't do that. It reminds me of the time when uh, someone was under PR. Can you remember the guy? The, the someone I think it was a woman was suspended for um, sharing a post from the Foo Fighters during yeah. um, Corbyn's election. Uh, one of them during the coup, they'd suspended her because it was support for another political party because she'd shared a, a post saying the Foo Fighters were great. And you just think, you know, they were using any, any excuse whatsoever. Oh, yeah. and, and a lot of people were just uh, given the opportunity to vote right at the right at the very end. Yeah, that's popular. Uh, people are saying the House of Lords need to be abolished ASAP. Uh, yeah. Fully agree with Ray. Uh, Tim is saying fully agree with Ray. The concept of second chambers get rid. And it was Paul Smith who said House of Lords needs to be abolished ASAP. Paul is a regular viewer and I sometimes like to think he's that uh, the, the fashion designer who is inspired by Tour de France uh, jerseys, you know, with these <laughs> colours and everything like that, you know. Big fan of Paul Smith. Anyway, um, but, but I'm sure I'm a big fan of this Paul Smith as well. It's probably not the same one. Um, there is a question that I know you will want to take here, Ray. And this is from Leanne Powell. She says, do you see similarities between how the gay and lesbian community was treated in the 1980s and the rhetoric being used now against trans folk? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know... I mean, you have to ask yourself, I mean, even on basically, why was the age of consent for when it when, when there was legalisation in England and Wales in 1967? Why was the age of consent set at um, 21 as opposed to 16 for, for straights? I mean, that was that was all that was a question, really, of, oh, well, young people, they just don't know. They don't know their own mind. It's all just a phase. Listen, I, I was told I, I, when I when I when I sneaked to look in my encyclopedia at home about homosexuality, wondering what the hell homosexuality was and whether it applied to me. And it said it was a it was a, it was a mental illness that was, um, that was that was that was you know that was gonna that would eventually it, it sometimes manifested itself in teenage years, but luckily, thank God, it was only a phase. Sometimes, you know, and I thought, oh, thank God, thank God, this this nightmare is not permanent. I, I'm going to grow out of this. I just hang on, and you know, and I'll start fancying women again. And uh, you know, and I, I lost my I lost a lot of teenage romances. I, I resent it to this day. Um, I lost a lot of that. Um, I lost a lot of that uh, that possibility of uh, of that sort of you know that sort of sweet little sort of teeny romances that I never had chance to have um, because constantly gaslighting gay gay young people telling they don't know they don't know who they fancy you know and now they're saying you don't know that you're trans you don't know you're trans now of course this is the other nonsense I can't imagine anybody trans people have got more of an interest in people not transitioning. By, by a mistake than anybody because the very worst thing for the trans community would be for loads of people to transition and then detransition. That'd be a, a terrible stick that we could be used to beat us all with, you know, or beat the trans community with um, and the LGBT community more generally. 
Um, so, of course, we all want people to be sure and we want uh, proper proper counselling and we want a health service. All of, all of that kind of counselling would be easier if you didn't have to wait two years for your first appointment. I mean, you go you get a situation where you, you go to your doctor and, 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 and the doctor says there's a need to refer you to a gender clinic. You wait two years to be seen just to have your first appointment. And when you get to your first appointment, do you know what happens then? The next appointment is, oh, yeah, we'll see you again. We, we have a half hour now. We'll see you again in another two years. So this, but yet the uh, the transphobes in, in, in and out of the labour movement and in the so-called feminist movement, and all, they, they'll have you believe that there's some sort of national plot to to trans people up. Let's, let's, let's trans him. You know, that, that girl has climbed a tree. She needs to be transed. You know, that, that boy, that boy dared to play with his sister's, with his sister's little mermaid dog. We insist now that he's, he, let's get him and trans him quickly. And you think, hang on a minute, in whose interest is it? I mean, at least in my day, they said that uh, gay people were, you know, we were recruiting other gays because you wanted to shag them. But that doesn't apply. <laughs> Nobody gains from making other people trans. You know, people are trans because they're trans. Um, and I think the idea that there is some kind of plot, what's the motive we're supposed to have? for forcing people to be trans against their will. I just never understood what the point of this is. Who, who's behind this plot? Um, How and, have and you seen what you see in America? on Facebook saying that the lesbians are being kind of, lesbians are being stolen and they're being forced by society into becoming trans men, as if trans men somehow have an easier time than lesbians. Are you joking? Have you met any trans men? Have you seen what shit they go through? So no, I mean, very similar. I mean, you, you don't know, you're sick, um, you're part of a plot. Then they go, oh, let's protect the children. It's always the children, you know, they want to protect you. They, you know, so it's section 28, let's protect the poor. Yes, yes, you can be trans if you want, but let's protect the poor children. Think of the children, God help us. Think of the poor children, Mary, you know. Um, and it's the same old nonsense. Um, and there's all, the, they, there's all the philosophical stuff about, you know, what is a woman and the nature of women, and, you know. Really, I, we can get into that in like, later on if you like. That's a complex discussion to have. But I just think it's, you, you've got, I mean, the greatest example, and I, was, I know you're getting a longer answer to a short question. Sorry, man. But, but you, had a, you had a situation, there was this woman, there was this woman uh, uh, Abigail Shirer, who produced this book. Um, and it, basically about what it was called um, Rapid Onset, Rapid Onset Gender um, Dysphoria. And the idea is, oh, you know, oh, but these people are suddenly becoming trans. We never knew it before. They're suddenly becoming trans. They must, they must be teaching it to each other. They must be getting off the internet. Well, you know, I, I suddenly became trans when I was 20. I, I suddenly became gay when I was 22. You know, I had girlfriends before that. Was that rapid onset homosexuality? You know, it hasn't dawned on these people that people hide their sexuality. They hide their, their, their dysphoria and, and their gender their gender, um, having a gender different from their that assigned at birth. And uh, I think it's the idea that just because you've come out, that you've just, because you come out now, you've suddenly thought about it like yesterday. You know, instead of, in fact, people have gone through years of like torment, but hoping it isn't true, trying to cure themselves in some bizarre way. You know, hoping and praying, if you're religious, like praying, desperately trying to think of something else when you're, you know, whatever, I can't talk about that. But, you know, just like desperately trying to convince yourself that this, this, this nightmare cannot be true. So, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Of course, we, of course, people are sure 
And I think it was, I think the, the way that the way that people, the, the trans community have been demonized by sections of the left is a scandal. But I must say, and I'll finish on this. I was not great on this issue myself. Two years ago, I really was not great on this issue myself. I wasn't terrible on the issue, but I wasn't great. Um, and I've had to really think this situation through. And I've done it by actually talking to and listening to trans people. Like, here's a surprise. Because the book I just referred to, they managed to write this book without talking, and was based on research that didn't talk to a single trans youth. They only spoke to the to parents who volunteered to be interviewed from an anti-trans mum's website. And that's where this evidence of rapid onset gender dysphoria came from, you know. And you think, well, try talking to trans people, see what they think, you know. Oh, trans people deny biological sex. Well, really? I've never, I've never met a single trans person who denies biological sex. I can't think of anybody in the world who knows more about the differences between biological sexes than trans people. <laughs> if you think about it, you know, they, they, they obsess and they, they, are, they, they, they think about these differences more than anybody else on the planet. So, yeah, sorry, I went off on one there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's those people in the, the LGB, especially the LGB people who like to say they're anti-trans, gay and lesbian people, they, they can be, they can be um, reserved a special place in hell for me. Because how you can go through what we went through in the, in the 70s and 80s and now... Not, not join the dots and make the obvious kind of solidarity now, I think is, is scandalous. I mean, they need a good, they need their asses kicked, to be honest. Sorry. Michelle, There's a longer no, answer than you. That's, uh, that, uh, it's, uh, it's really good to hear this, really, because like the, this is what we're talking about, isn't it? It's yeah. solidarity with people and it's believing people. And what if people weren't believed for being gay, like like you said earlier on, like was that sudden onset gayness when you became twenty two, you know, and and it's a really strong, powerful answer that one, Rochelle. We were speaking a little bit about this earlier on, weren't we? And we were saying, yeah. um, you know, both of us are teachers, and both of us have met trans youths in our schools because you know it, it because they exist. You know, it's simply right they exist. What are your thoughts on this? You know, would would is it easy for children? Is it is it just like a potential fad? Is it really really cool for them to do this? And do they just do it for some sort of reason like that? You know, is 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 that even a valid argument in the slightest? Um, you know what? I think it's like anything. If the best thing you can do is just give them a choice, and even if you know, like even if it is a fad, I don't think it is. I, I don't think anything like that is, but. If it is, then they have the absolute right to go down that route. And then if they change their mind, they absolutely have the right to change their mind. But what you can't do is tell them that they don't have the choice to do anything that like that, that they want to do. Like it's their body, their feelings. You can question them and say and, and help them and ask questions to maybe open up what they feel. But you shouldn't be telling them things like, no, I think that's absolutely horrendous. But I do think that kids nowadays, young people have it a little bit easier from from the 80s you know 70s 80s 90s even now I think a lot of their friends are more open to it and it's not you know it's it's not something that they're not willing to talk about like they are willing to talk about and they're willing to openly talk about it but I think that's only because of everything that you know Ray is everything that he's talking about 
it they're only they've only got an easier time ish because of everything that happened back then do you know what i mean like it's it's a follow through but at the same time i don't have a clue like i only go off what 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 people tell us or like if if kids want to talk about it you know i think it's totally up to them and if they want to try it let them like what you say that what's what's what doesn't affect you doesn't affect us at all just let them let them try I remember speaking to my mum about this and my mum said, uh, she, she says, she like, we spoke about the trans people for a little while and at one point she did just say, I just do feel so, um, I find it so confusing. Um, but, you know, and welcome to Laura, by the way, you are now on. Um, <laughs> Laura is now on. Um, so my mum did say to me, I find it so confusing. I says, well, imagine how confusing it would be to be born in the wrong body to to have a body that doesn't match up with the gender you identify with that's way more confusing for that person than it ever would be for the idea that trans people exist my mum's lovely by the way she was trying to be understanding but she just said found it confusing and yeah fair enough it is a little bit confusing for people but far more confusing for the people who are going going through that transition and, and going through that kind of that challenge well, of course, I mean, by the time they tell their loved ones, um, there's a song by by a, a guy called Noah Adams. And he says, you know, he he said he, he he's lying to every lying to everybody you love most when when you feel you're as obvious as Pinocchio, and Pinocchio is obviously you know he wants to be a real boy kind of thing, and it and it's of course they they think about this for years and years and years before they tell anybody, and then when they tell somebody, they're accused of having rapid onset, you know, all of a sudden, oh, you've suddenly decided you're so you've suddenly decided it's trans because it's trendy. Well, no. And look, I'm sure that some people out there in, in, in universities and so on and so forth, some communities, I'm sure people are playing, they're testing out their own feelings. You know, there's, in my life, I've known plenty of people who say they're bisexual, but, you know, and or they say they're gay, but they, it turns out that they're mostly not and they go on. And, and that was something they did. Then, you know, people can people can can experiment with their feelings. That's what being a teenager is all about, you know. Um but um, but but when people often ask me when I do, when I do question and answers on LGSM, younger people, very young people, say, "Well, there are no trans people in LGSM. What were the trans people doing?" And I say, "Well, you know, there wasn't any really." People forget how new this issue is for the labour movement, and that's why there's so much confusion and ignorance about it because it's new, because the possibilities of transitioning were much less then. The community as such didn't exist. It was regarded almost uniquely as a as a, if you like, a, a kind of a personal medical problem, you know, that you had to somehow get through in, in shameful secrecy, you know? It wasn't regarded as a community. It wasn't a political, a, 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 an area of political campaigning. I did know one trans woman, I'm very pleased to say, somebody called um, Rachel, Rachel Webb, who's worth researching, actually. Rachel, um, whose actual position on trans rights, because it was so long ago in the 80s, I don't agree with actually. She, I don't. I don't think she worked out her position on on trans rights that well. And who knows? But anyway, so I'd probably disagree. But nevertheless, she was a she was a, a trans woman who was a, a, a disqualified Lambeth councillor. She got elected to Lambeth Council. You know when I don't know if you know the history with when when the Lambeth Council set an illegal budget in the eighties to break the Tories' rules on budgets. 
And so they, along with Liverpool Council, and you know, they're all all united in this campaign to set an illegal budget and to not accept the Tory cuts. Well, you know, the original councillors were all disqualified, and they got another sixty people to stand. And Rachel was one of those, and she she won her seat, and that was fine. And then she was outed. There was a massive centre page spread in the News of the World, outing her as a trans woman. Um, and she went through hell being doorstep. So you can imagine what that did to her to her life. But then the next election came along and she won with a bigger majority. <laughs> so she was the first person to, to win a seat, I think, on the council back in the late 80s as an explicitly, openly trans woman. And she won anyway as a Labour councillor because she fought for people. She fought for council tenants and for, and for council services. And that's the point. You know, yes, she's trans, but she's, she's fighting for a community. And that's the point. It's solidarity. Hi. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to bring in because I'm I'm very well aware that none of us on this uh, on this call are trans ourselves. I would say that we are probably I, I would I would say it's fair to describe us as trans allies, but we don't know what it's like to live that life. Um, but someone who who is um, has has uh, got involved um, with this, and this is Mia, um, and she has said lots of people used to think my being trans was a phase. One person said I should wait because there might be a cure. Someone said I shouldn't go to a wedding because having a transsexual at their wedding might feel like it would be like like it would for me having someone from the BNP at mine. When I spoke online about how being forced to present as male as a child and a young adult made me suicidal, I was accused of shutting down the debate. Um, and you know. You know, I, I I love I love hearing these insights from Mia, and and I think I personally I've learned a lot from from learning about Mia's experiences and things, and it's it's strengthened my uh, my personal feelings on this issue. Um, Laura, what do you feel about this? It's the first time you've spoken tonight, so it's lovely to have you on. <laughs> thank you oh, for um, yeah. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, we don't live in a sexist household. I normally put the children to bed. <laughs> Which is why it takes me so long. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that it's more good that I have to do the directing, which I'm sort of doing tonight. So, what do you okay, think? Don't Laura? worry, you're not a misogynist. We're a team. It's fine. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's questionable. Not. Yeah, well, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, according to some people. Let's not start that show. <laughs> Um, yeah, this whole thing for me is really, really, really just upsetting. Um, because why I don't understand why politicians and especially right wingers are just so intent on having a say on other people's bodies. You know, um, and I mentioned this in a comment actually during Ray's interview, which was incredible, by the way, Ray, Ray I've seen it four times now and I love every, I love it every time. <laughs> um, but the, the sort of, we've come a long way, obviously. It's not illegal to be gay anymore. Um, but like Ray said, that we're not done. That's not anywhere near done. You know, we are making strides. But still, we've got the American government deciding that it's against the law to have an abortion. Even if you've been raped as a young girl, if you get rid of that child, you go to prison. You know, we, we are losing any sense of... Um, autonomy over our own bodies and I say losing what I mean is we've never gained it we've never gained it there's always someone who's got an opinion on someone else's experience having never lived it and I think that is the most depressing part of this I 
like you say, I, I class myself as a trans ally, but I don't understand what a trans person goes through. And I'll hold my hands up about that. I've never had to go through it. I can't imagine how it must feel to wake up in the wrong body every single day and to have to try and live a life where people tell you how you actually feels wrong. Um, and the whole, uh, like we hinted earlier, the whole our trans women, women debate, that shouldn't even be a debate. Mm. Yes, there are separate issues around um, safeguarding in, you know, the, one of the big ones is refuges, um, safe spaces for women. That Those safeguards are already there. This isn't an issue. If there's a woman there who who struggles with anyone who present, who looks like a man, who presents as a man, then you just put them somewhere where that person isn't. But you've got to have a safe space for trans women who haven't transitioned yet because I'm damn sure they go through a hell of a lot of abuse and struggle and they need safe spaces just as much as anybody else is. I, I, I just feel like the whole world needs just some bloody empathy. Really, They really just need to put themselves in the shoes of other people and imagine if that was you, would you want to be treated like this? No. Let people be who they think they want to be. You know, yes, if somebody murders somebody, that's not good. That makes them a bad person. But just wanting to be who they feel they are, that doesn't make someone a bad person. Of course it doesn't. And it shouldn't be illegal. It shouldn't be questioned. And it shouldn't be up to governments to decide how and when those people transition or present or what they look like or how they behave. It's it's up to them. It should be in my eyes anyway I'm really really passionate about it but I'm, I'm well aware that I don't know enough of the legalities I've never lived it I just hate other people having a say on how other people live their lives it really bothers us there's a daily daily mailization of this though as well because I find a lot of people and and this works really well with with when kids say really inappropriate things and and kids will say inappropriate things that's fine that's how they learn we don't uh, not forgive people for making mistakes and uh, and you know how else are you supposed to learn and, and that goes for adults and kids alike but a lot of them will say oh well you know if it's a trans woman they'll say well has he got a knob and they'll say something like that and a really really unfair thing and i'll just say something along the lines of that that is a really weird thing to ask. Do you normally care about what's in what in anyone else's pants? Is that what you you're going around thinking about on a day to day basis? Uh, you know, is 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 that does that matter? You know, the only people that should interest are the people who are interested in the, those people physically, and and that's it. You know, and, and for intimate partners and things like that, you shouldn't be interested in what is going on with one another's genitalia, and that does work with kids. Kids will see that and say, actually, yeah, it is a bit pervy of me, isn't it? It is a bit weird for me to ask that question, you know, because it doesn't matter what's going on there. Have you, you heard those what? questions? interestingly right you're totally right because it works the same way you know like with graffiti you know like if you're looking through like an old textbook and then all of a sudden you come across like a page with loads of knobs on like and you're like trying to find out who the culprit is i always say like why have you not drawn loads of like vaginas like what like why is it always knobs like what like what <laughs> what's the obsession and they're straight away they're like oh They've never then, seen one, probably. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, then and then I'm like, well, why, why, why are you just drawing like, why are you just drawing this everywhere? And then, and then like, they'll think about it, and then straight away they're like, oh. And I'm like, well, don't go and Google them now, like just to like draw them. And then like later on, <laughs> I look and I'll say like, oh, have you not drawn any nice pictures? And they're like, no, miss. 
you know, like really put out that I've taken the mic, but really they understand that there shouldn't really be, you know, like it's totally true, totally true. I often find for, I mean, if I were a teacher, I'd be, what I'd be tempted to say to like a 12 year old boy say, that, okay, supposing that you wake up, that you go to bed tonight and you wake up and your parents have decided that you're a girl and they send you to school and they, and they've given you drugs. You're going to grow breasts and you're, they send you to, they send you to, uh, they send you to school in a frock and tights and with ribbons in your hair. How would you feel? How out of place and uncomfortable would you feel? And this applies, by the way, to loads of kind of earnest elderly Marxists who talked about mm -hmm. we should abolish gender. No, we should we should we shouldn't give in to the trans lobby. We should just abolish gender. Like these people who probably don't know how to clean their own toilet or probably don't look after their own kids and they've never been seen dead in a frock, even on Halloween, you know. So imagine imagine if that you had to, if if you're a boy, if you if you had to dress as a girl and how uncomfortable that would make you feel. Uh, and then you think, well, okay, trans people just know that they're not, they know they're not. What they what they're assigned. You know, a, a trans, a, tra, a, a trans, a trans lass. She knows she's a girl, but she's forced to like dress as a boy, and that must feel completely odd. And imagine like a, a trans man. They, they're like growing breasts and stuff, and they think, oh god, no, everyone's going to see them. They're going to know. They're going to suddenly know that I'm a that I'm a that I'm that I'm a girl, and that's the last thing. I'm not a girl, but how can I hide these breasts? You know, and that kind of terror, and. Get it across that way. Imagine what if, if 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 you went to another country, and all of a sudden overnight, like that film Big, when you know when you, you wake up and you're someone else. Imagine waking up in a society where somebody's decided that you have to dress as a girl now, and how bad that would feel if if you didn't identify with that. Sorry, man. Many issues. Many yeah. issues with the film Big. Watching it as an adult, it was really good as a <laughs> child, and and now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this, this film Big. <laughs> It's got yeah. issues, but uh, yeah, you, you know. they they sailed completely over my head. I'm sorry, I'm glad to say. Oh uh, well, it, it's more the fact that there's a child who's dating an adult woman and he's bouncing on bunk beds and things. Like that. It makes me feel quite uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, loads of really really good comments coming in. Um, Paul Smith, who isn't the Paul Smith, otherwise he would donate to social uh, left social media everywhere. You can donate to us, by the way, um, and <laughs> you can be a member of Socialist Think Tank. See, I'm getting better, aren't I? Um, mm -hmm. Even though I feel absolutely embarrassed. I can to, tell you feel crap on it. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe, everyone. Um, oh, and then, uh, so... Yeah, but you can become a member of Socialist Think Tank for free. You don't have to pay us anything at all. You can just become a member on our website. So please do visit our website and uh, and do that and get involved. We have forums on there where you can speak freely about socialist issues and, uh, and get involved in the debate there. Um, but Paul Smith was saying the Workers' Party of Great Britain are meant to be socialist, but they are anti-trans. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of anti-trans well, people. Is, it, is this the George Galloway one? Uh, is is George it, Galloway? I don't know. Maybe Paul will tell us. Definitely trans. He's outrageously anti-trans. I just don't think you can be socialist and anti-trans. I don't think you can be anti-any human. Yeah. And be a socialist. Well, yeah, I, I think anti-racist. I, I, I think it's not as simple as that. I think Nazi. We need, to, we need to sell that. We need to sell. See, the trouble is, I think. People, people who are used to gay rights being accepted have just kind of assumed that trans rights would be accepted as well. Um, and it was they got a right to assume that, but it isn't actually true because the trans thing is so new. 
and that people only started really to accept gay people in the party in the unions once they knew one you started to know more and more and more of us more of us came out but very 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 few people have ever met a trans person in their life and they just don't get it they just don't understand it it's beyond them uh, and i think there's a real job of education to be done there and the the, the labor campaign for trans rights does a lot of good work on this uh, it's a good link um where they, they instead of instead of howling and trying to like expel people all the time they're trying to like, educate and 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 uh and, and convert now of course should some people be expelled yes there are people out there who are just hateful and they need expelling but also a lot of people just honestly they don't know the first thing about it and they're likely to believe any nonsense they're told and they just need proper education and they need to meet and listen to trans people Yep. real real actual trans people who don't spend their life plotting to take over the world but just actually want to pee they just want to go they want to go shopping and, and have a piss you know that's what they want to do and they, they just want to get on with their life yeah the, there's the argument is now um, i was going to bring this up earlier on when you were saying what is the reason for people doing this i watched a documentary and it was about um the woman who was in the she was she was in the marines uh, and transitioned um and it was a few years ago i can't remember exactly when it was but she went round america interviewing people about why they were anti-trans and it was the whole like well you know they're going to go into i won't do the accent but it was a deep south accent and um they're, they're going to go in and they're going to transition so that they can go into women's bathrooms and rape them and she, she said well why would anyone do that why would anyone do this and and you know and go through hormone therapy and 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 you know have have uh, procedures done on them. Why would they do that in order to rape women? It was like because that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that re- really? And that's it. And these are the opinions that we're valuing above others. That the the people are going to say. Oh, actually, what I'll do is I'll have two years. Where I'll and and I'll live as I'll live as a woman, and then I'll take some hormones, and then I will do this all as an evil scheme to go and rape someone in a bathroom. When really, what you could have done is just, if you're a rapist, just rape them anyway. And just just batter down the bathroom door and go in and it. Just go into the bathroom. <laughs> you're very, women are very often alone in bathrooms. They could just easily, if if you were determined to do that, you'd just do it. I mean. The argument goes, oh, well, some, some men aren't actually, um, they aren't actually, they don't have surgery, they don't have hormones. But even, even trans people without any kind of medical intervention, um, they still have to, like, declare themselves for, to live as women all their life. That's a hell of a thing to do, just to, to, to break into a bathroom, which you could batter the door down anyway and rape anybody, or, you know, either, either in the bathroom or, or, in, or in the car park on the way home. You know, why on earth would people go through the trouble? As if, as if, as if, as if you know, you've got a rapist who who knows that it's a it's a really serious offence. He'll go to prison, but but a symbol on the door. Oh no, sorry, I've seen the symbol. It's like a like a like a vampire with 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 a holy cross. You know. Oh, I, they're, 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 I'm sorry. There's a symbol on the door. I can't. Go in. <laughs> I haven't I, been invited in. I'm not wearing a skirt. <laughs> I haven't been invited in by evil trans lobbyists. <laughs> If a, man, if, if a man wants to rape somebody, he'll just batter the door down and do it anyway. You know, this is all such nonsense and scaremongering. And there's almost zilch evidence anywhere in the world that this has actually happened. 
what there is evidence that's, by the way is as of trans women being forced to use the gents are being battered in the gents yeah by the way what about trans men you see trans men are always forgotten about it mm-hmm. there are trans men there with like full beards and pecs and abs. there are trans men who win like male fitness bodybuilding awards they're, they're on the front page of men's health magazines you know what do they go to the ladies then and of course if they have to go to the ladies then that absolutely then allows any man to go because if a trans man with a with, with, with a six-pack and biceps and tattoos and a beard has to go into the has to go into the it has to go into the ladies well then that's carte blanche for any man then to go into the ladies surely so they defeat by their own argument and of course absolutely. what's so annoying is that trans women have been using the ladies for ever forever <laughs> when i was on switchboard in the i was on gay switchboard it didn't come out of my little story but i was i was a volunteer for gay switchboard for three years from 1985 to 1988 in the middle of the aids in the eye of the storm of the aids crisis but we used to get calls from from in those the people in those days we called transsexuals or transvestites old-fashioned language um and we, we used to give advice as to where they could go to try clothes on where they could buy clothes without being made to feel embarrassed the marks suspenses have allowed um, trans men to try on clothes in the ladies try, in the ladies' change room since the eighties. This is not new, and it's not important, and it's nonsense. And they're all bloody lockable cubicles in any case. It's just all such nonsense. And I love the idea that oh, in a swimming bath you could have you could have men in a swimming. Bath. I cannot think. I cannot think of anything in the world a trans person would less rather do than go naked in a swimming pool changing room. I just cannot imagine how appalling and triggering of dysphoria that would be. What nonsense. Yeah, and Mia's just exactly said that. Yeah, yep. yeah <laughs> about single-sex spaces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd and be there have been some really to... strong comments on this from, from a lot of people, actually. Can I just jump in there for a second? Um, I, I want to say something that I, we haven't really talked about a lot and it might be a complete pipe dream and absolutely not the right thing to do. But I'm wondering about gender conformity and how a woman is one thing and a man is another and they, that's the way it is. Will we ever get to a point where people can just be people and we don't have to use labels? Because obviously there's men's and women's changing rooms. And I imagine the reason for that is so that, you know, women's sensibilities aren't injured if we ever saw a penis, God forbid. Um, Or that men who are all rampant racists might attack some women. So it just feels to me like, are we not getting to the point where we can start having a conversation about why these rules are there anyway? And could we just be people? And then that I can only imagine would help trans people to allow themselves to just be whoever they want to be. And you don't need to be strictly male or strictly female or, you know, these really binary ideas of what a man and a woman should be. I don't know. It just, it got me thinking earlier on when I was watching this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously that's in the short term, that's very difficult to do because there, there are issues. I mean, you know, women would, you know, People, people on well. On one hand, people don't want to be fancied. They don't want to be fancied when they're just. They don't want to be ogled in a sexual way while they're changing. I guess. But you see, this was also used to keep gay men out of the army because they thought well, gay men, gay men can't join the army because they'll they'll be in the or they'll be living cheek by jowl, so to speak, with with other squaddies in kind of uh, in in personal sharing showers, sharing barracks, and and they'll be ogling, you know. 
there, there was there was a, a thing to keep gay men out of the navy and submarines and so on because they'll be ogling their their workplace. But you think, well, they don't know, do they? You know, I mean, and if if they do, you know, and if, you know, women women could be ogled by lesbians, I suppose, in 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 toilets. But I suppose no, clearly there is there's a given the world, given the prevalence of male violence and sexual violence, I can obviously see why those kind of separate facilities are needed. But it does open. It does smash the whole thing. I mean, it's very interesting how the 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 the, the feminist side of the transphobe argument. They often say that oh, trans people they kind of reinforce gender stereotypes, but of course they don't. I know trans. I know trans people who are. I know trans men who are super butch, male models, bodybuilders. You know, bearded, tattooed. You know, whatever. I also know. I also know trans men who are gay and completely daffy, completely flamboyant and flappy hands. And, you know, but the idea is you can, I, I know, you know, you, you can be a trans woman and a tomboy or a trans woman and, and a, a fashion victim, you know, you, both those things are possible. But how you act is not the same thing as how you think you are. You can, you can still see yourself as a, ma- as a male or female. You know, there, there, are, there, are, there are sort of effeminate and masculine cis men and are effeminate and masculine trans men you see it, it doesn't matter how you see yourself is simply not the same as how you how you how you present you know yeah yeah and i think that's sort of what the, only, getting the, only, the only thing is though that if you're if you're a trans woman especially and if you don't kind of glam up and look feminine people think you're just playing at it they think you're not really trans and you get blamed for not being really trans then if you do do it you're attacked for um for being girly and for reinforcing gender stereotypes, you can't win. They got you either way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I did. I have heard someone. We were at a, we were at Pride. This was like, I w- I was at uni in Norwich, and then we went to Pride. Um, got the train across to London, and um, I remember hearing like people walking past the big uh, display, and we walking past, were like, "You were really shit, tranny, you." And I was like, "What? Like, wh- what do you mean?" And it is this thing of like. You either are male, female, m- male transitioning, woman transitioning. You know, like in school, we we teach the kids now about like gender fluidness, about um, accepting other people, about talking about your feelings, about like, I don't know. I I do think that Laura has a point, and I do think that challenging the behaviour first of all is like a massive thing. So teaching, you know, the kids that. You shouldn't Google somebody, it doesn't matter who they are, you know, or, or what they identify as or whatever. And it's those types of behaviours that you have to sort of counteract right really early on, you know, like wolf whistling, all that kind of stuff. It needs to be dealt with really early on in schools. Parents should be having these types of conversations with their kids, you know, and it, I do think it's not about, it's not about like education, you know, like you will get a certificate saying that you are, I don't know, but it is about like having open conversations and making sure that people understand that there are other people in the world who feel the way that they do and why they feel the way that they do and how you could help them, you know, out or like even, you know, how to ask questions because people like kids are nosy, aren't they? They just want to know. And they're so good at asking questions. And what we're not good at as adults is like asking genuine questions because we're scared that someone's going to shut us down. Like we've talked about this loads, like just... you. People need to be able to ask those questions, but also be taught that 
sometimes their behavior is out of order and how to deal with maybe situations better. I think that's a, that's a big blocker. I think the labor movement, sorry, Laura. No, I was just going to say just on that, Rochelle, I think, um, it'd be lovely if we could, but we, it seems like we've got centuries of, um, of ideology to, to undo essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, um, the, the, the a really simple example is that I have to shop in the boys section for Scarlett, our daughter, because she really likes dinosaurs. But apparently they don't make dinosaur things in girls sections <laughs> because they're not for girls. And that is that it's like really top level stuff. That's really easy. But then we go back to the things like the rape culture. Or, you know, the, I see so many people saying you shouldn't wear this. You shouldn't drink too much. You shouldn't do this. Um, dress a certain way. And I saw this meme the other day that I thought just hit the nail on the head. By telling me not to wear this skirt, you are basically telling me to tell the guy to rape the other person. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's. It's just about trying to ha- trying to change the culture, the patriarchy, which I've I've been a long advocate for smashing it. I don't say that from a yay women point of view. I say that because the patriarchy and the ideology around that damages men as much as anybody else. You know, it strips away a lot of their personality in who they want to be it's it's you have to be this type you have to be strong and you can't cry and you can't do this and And I think if we can from a very early age like you say Rochelle start to just minimize those stereotypes Mm -hmm. then we we can grow up in a more understanding world yeah maybe we will never ever get to a point where gender is not a thing um and I'm you know I'm part the woman's banner group a proud woman I think women are mint but I don't think they're better than anybody else. And it'd be lovely if everybody could just be equal and be nice and, yep. and it, it not matter, I think, is yep. what I'm getting at. I, th- I think one of the things well, you were getting at as well school, was the... Hmm? When I was a kid at school, the, 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 the test was that the lads, would they would ask you, they'd ask another lad to look at his fingernails. And, and you said, what? So if you went like that, you were queer. <laughs> and if you went like that, you were you were all right, you know? So if you, you 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 can do it, you ask a lad to look at his, ask a bloke to look at his fingernails and see which way he does it. You know that that apparently was the cast iron test for whether you're a queer or not. Oh, um, whether you bend them back. I've heard that. Yeah, if you bend them back. It's like it's, do you hold a cigarette like that, or do you hold a cigarette like that? Oh God! See, the, <laughs> one of the things that I, I really learned about this at university. So I did psychology when I was there, and one of the I think he was called Mark Moss did some um, did some um research into the length of your finger so like the length of your fingers and say this one your yeah, ring yeah. finger that ring finger apparently if you're statistically more likely to be gay if your ring finger is longer than your index <laughs> finger that's what he found but oh. it was found because you have more testosterone in the womb that happens and therefore um most people who are like that um how, how fingers like like mine you know because that means i'm statistically more likely to be gay which doesn't mean that you necessarily are it just means like it's a, th- a statistic thing and it's like well physical differences and stuff like that such a weird thing to look into and i didn't know whether it was helpful or harmful but the 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 outcome was that gay people um were going to be better at spatial awareness questions and it's like because mm. because like there was this link and it's like what i don't know i don't know I, I don't know whether that kind of thing's helpful and looking for physical differences and 
and you know it just can we not just be whatever we want to be i have to say i'm not a great fan of looking for biological that that there is a whole thing that that the, the trans community are trying to abolish physical sex you know and mm. they're not um they're painfully aware of the differences between somebody who's a male and people. They, they, are, they are more aware than anybody else in the entire world of those differences because they spend their entire life grappling with them. Yeah. Um, I know there are some there are some trans people who say they were born they got a, they've got a woman's brain and a man's body. There's very little or contradictory evidence of this, and we'll have to wait and see what the science comes up with later on. I don't personally I don't believe I've ever I don't believe I was born gay or I've got a gay brain either. The testosterone thing with the fingers it's a testosterone marker but i've not seen that it's linked explicitly convincingly to being gay or not it's just a testosterone marker it means we're if you've got more one study yeah you'll be yeah you'll be you'll be faster at running and weightlifting if you've got more testosterone that's what it is i'm not i'm clearly <laughs> I, I proved well, it, it, it's apparently it's 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 a uh, womb testosterone yeah, so it's that's not right. how much yeah. testosterone you have as an adult. It's how much testosterone no, no, it's right. the you womb have while you're in the moon. You're born more athletic if you've got more testosterone, apparently. But I, I don't believe there are physiological differences between gay men and straight men. Um, I think it's... But it, the difficulty is if you... And I understand why trans people and gay people want to believe that because it, 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 it kind of says, don't be mean to me because it's not my fault. That's what they want to believe um, because it's very hard to get from... Um, I was born that way is safe because it's, you know, my mum always wanted to believe that I was born this way because it let her off the hook of blame. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do it, make any mistakes raising me. I was just born queer. And that was, you know, God intended to be this way. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but if you're not born that way, then it, then is it just a choice? Is it something you can change? Well, no, that's not true either. It's in between those two things. It's a deep seated psychological need set down in very early life. It's neither a choice nor is it innate. It's, 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 and it, that's why it's difficult to, 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 to get across to people because they think, well, if you're not born that way, then you must best be choosing. Anyone can just choose to be gay or choose to be trans. Well, that's obviously not true either, you know? And it's, it's that in-between one, which is sometimes hard to explain. Um, and so it's easier to rely on, oh, I was born this way. I was born gay. I've been gay for as long as I can remember, you know, whatever. It's hard. But that's it. Yeah, it's like thing for me on that. Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> Sorry. No, you go, you go. I think I was going to basically say the exact same thing. It's really sad that you have to explain this yeah, because I don't have to say. tell people why I chose mm-hmm. to be straight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also letting people off the hook and people going, oh, it wasn't my fault, sort of suggests that there's something wrong with you. And there's mm-hmm. not. It's just who you are. I didn't like, you know, I fancy Paul. Many people might think he's horrible. They'd be wrong. But, you know, I, I didn't necessarily choose that. <laughs> it just... well, you have a very good taste, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing now. Yep. 
Paula, you're muted. Yeah, sorry. No. All oh, no. oh, right. I am. What I was st- <laughs> what I was saying is um, that people. I think what Laura was talking about was the non-binary people earlier on, and that the idea that gender is a spectrum. So some some men are a little bit um, more on the feminine side of the spectrum, and some men are very manly, and some women are on the on the very womanly side of the spectrum, and and some are more manly, and it's okay to be kind of in the middle. And I think that's what, like, being forced into one role or the other can be quite damaging in the in the idea of a binary world. You know, where do those non-binary people fit in in society? And, and there are very few people who are comfortable, and I really do admire them, for being comfortable enough just to say, um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm non-binary, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I think that's probably was that what you were getting at earlier on, Laura, with the idea of trying well, to force people down. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I think people should be able to celebrate being a woman, or celebrate being a man, or celebrate being non-binary or whatever. But I just, I think I live in this really utopian world where I just think, wouldn't it be nice if we were all just people? Um, I think that is severely unlikely given that our whole society is based on thousands and thousands of years of oppression and uh, rules from people who are much more important than us but it just it would be lovely if we could all just be people but um, yeah I think having to fit into a certain pigeonhole is really problematic and causes so much damage to people Um so yeah, I mean, there's the you're right in what you say. There's such a spectrum, and I think there needs to be a lot of education about that, and a lot more understanding about that. Um, I'm, I count myself so lucky because I was born white, British, um, heterosexual. I've got it easy. All I am is work and class. <laughs> That's my problem, you know. That's really not um, that easy. <laughs> exactly well yeah exactly <laughs> and so I think that you but I care and I try and educate myself I don't know enough I'll, I'll not live that experience well I might you know I'm 40 now things could still change <laughs> um but it's it's just really difficult to see people being treated poorly because of something that they haven't just gone tell you what will be good for a laugh I might do this now I might be trans now or I might be gay now that's not what it is it's it's just who they are as people and I, I really struggle that people have to feel so bad to be pigeonholed and to be to have to choose one way or another You've let me ramble far too long, Paul. This is not good. I'm not not chairing this session. I'm facilitating discussion. So um, (laughs) you should not have shut me up by now. I was I was saying just to a friend. I was saying to a friend, whether the daughter of a friend and and she's my friend too, just this afternoon that sometimes when you're campaigning for your rights, you have to set up kind of um, titles. You have to set up communities, and you can identify as this, 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 or this. LGBT, da 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 da. Um, but actually, as you at the, the further and further into it you go, you find all these categories just kind of break down. That the reality of individuals, like what a straight man is, and what a straight man. Yes, he, I'm a straight. He's a straight man, but he fancies X, Y, and Z actually. And if push comes to shove, he's not so straight, or he's got. And you get all this kind of. Uh, there's all this complexity about you know who you can fancy and how you feel. And I think I, I do look forward 
and it's it certainly happened more over the last 30 years, where all those categories, that need to actually pin yourself and define yourself, um, will break down. Now, I, I know there's a lot of defining going on now. There's a, lot, you know, there's a, there's a kind of obsession inside the, the trans community to, to define yourself exactly. But hopefully that will just break down and people say, you know, just, just, I'm just me. I'm just me. And, and I tell you what, if I fancy you, I'll let you know. Otherwise, <laughs> mind your own business. You know, and if, and if I ask you, to, if, I, if I ask you for a bit and you don't fancy me, well, just let me know and I'll go somewhere else, you know, but I'm not going to walk around with a bloody label on my head. And I think there's a need actually for people just to be themselves and ultimate liberation I, I used to say back in the day that people said the liberation was having loads and loads of gay pubs. No, liberation is not needing gay pubs. Hmm. Liberation yeah. is when there's not a, when the last gay pub shuts, we will know we've made it. When I can go to any pub and chat somebody up, and if they're not interested, they say, "No, thanks, mate. All right, thanks very much." Are they all right? Fair enough. That's it. You know, you want a drink, mate? No, thanks. I'm straight. Okay, ta-da. <laughs> but, or oh are you really yeah but never mind we'll talk about football instead whatever you know that's what it should be but of course we're, we're a long way from that but i think you know i think young people now um that their, their ability to comprehend that people can be all sorts of complex mixtures um and ultimately first we were oppressed then the labels really mattered because they're a way of fighting our oppression and then eventually when we've actually then we won't need the labels anymore we'll, we can just be ourselves and that's exactly what we want to be in it they've got us all just nodding we're all just like yes, yes yes well done we're all like fist bumping <laughs> <laughs> um some really lovely comments coming in as well um from from a number of people Leanne's just said that she really wants to share this conversation with um with some of our trans friends who need to hear this kind of support and understanding right now and uh are we recorded then is this recorded yeah this this stays online this 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 stays online forever so it goes goes out live and it stays online i I thought this was a well, thank God I've been. I better be careful what I say. That's <laughs> no, it does. It does. It stays out there. We can delete it if you need to. You know, I can. I can edit bits out if you said anything awful. It's like... no, I, think, I think I've been okay. Although I am, you told me I could drink. You know, you didn't. Yeah. You didn't say it'd be on the internet for the for the rest of eternity if I'm drinking beer. This is the. It's the best. <laughs> Honestly, last week I I did um I I did the whole uh, Starmer, is uh, Atley, in that they are both boring comment mm. i've said it again now I've said it again it's true though isn't it you know that's the only similarity um but, <laughs> but yeah some really really nice comments and um and mia saying she need well, we need to challenge the whole concept of fitting in whether it's around gender or anything else for that matter yeah people should be who they are um and uh mark lungley's been commenting as well thanks for letting me know i was muted that really is useful um yeah that was bad i have a little control work and mute myself and everyone else can hear me as well so uh we needed you for that one so thank you um paul smith said laura you stole my thunder about patriarchy patriarchy is incredibly toxic and needs to be banished to the museum of hell it's dry <laughs> it, it's uh, it's driven racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, and now transphobia. And uh, yeah, I think I think we tend to agree with that on the panel. By the way, oh, there yeah. are 
there are sections of the trans. I mean, you know, we can't we, we can't give the trans community like a, a completely clean bill of health because there are there are people and sections of the trans community who obsess about gatekeeping. They obsess about policing who is or is not like a real trans. And you think, oh, for God's sake, as if you know, why the wider society is is tough enough. Do we need to police yourselves as to who's really trans or not? There's this there's this desire to be the oh I'm the respectable trans, the mm-hmm. real one, and all the other people are just kind of trendies who aren't real trans. And you think oh for God's sake get a grip will you? You know just you know life's too short to constantly trying to prove that oh I'm the only good trans in the world. You know there there are there, there are there are there are trans YouTubers in the states who who are Trump supporters and they're trying to buy acceptance from from MAGA hat wearers by pretending to be, oh, I'm the acceptable face. Look, look at me, I, I'm really pretty, I'm really beautiful. You'd never know that I was trans, therefore I'm okay. You know, and all the other weirdos, all these other radical lefty weirdo trans people, they're the people you should be worried about. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's like I used to say, I used to get this by the way at work, where, because I'm, my, my friends will laugh at this, because I'm relatively straight acting. All my friends now are laughing. I can hear them laughing all over the place. But most of the time, at least, I'm kind of straight acting. So I, I, I'd come out in a place at work and, pe- uh, and people would go on about gay stuff. And I'd call, I'd say, hang on a minute, hang on, hold it. How, what are you talking about? Oh, no, not you. We don't mean you. We just mean those other, those, those, those extreme flamboyant camp queers. They're different. I mean, you're okay. You're one of us. But it's those camp ones we can't stand. And you think, no, no, that's not true. And I, I felt, then I had to be, I had to make it clear that I've no, that's not acceptable. You know, you can't do that. God, I'm still reeling from the fact that there's a trans, there's a trans collective who support Trump. This is the Look thing with identity politics. I you will. Be white and you will be afraid, I tell you. The, the, but this right. is the thing with Getting identity politics. Blair with, mm. neon, Blair with an E on the end and white. She's yeah. monstrous. Identity politics always plays to the right because what they can do is they can say, and we say the Tories do, and they'll do it at one point as well. The Tories in the UK will at one point find some beautiful trans woman who will be their like representative on trans issues who's right wing. And then they will say they don't have a trans problem, even though they will be denying those trans people healthcare and mm-hmm. making them like, you know, putting them in. And this is this is where identity politics is absolutely awful. It doesn't mean and I think um, it was it was I think it's Carl, um, Carl or Carl. Alexander Rosser, in any uh, sufficiently large group of humans, you will find arseholes. This is true. Not all trans people will be nice people. It's just like, not, not like, they are just people. There will always be people who are arseholes. And that is the opposite of identity politics. However, if they are being treated badly because of who they are, whether that's their race, their gender identity, their sexuality, anything like that, then that is is when it becomes um, a real problem and that's when it becomes discrimination. But that doesn't mean that those people can't be assholes. They will oh, be assholes. No. You know, that that's... And he's really hit the nail on the head there, I think. Have you, have you ever seen Candace Owen? Yes. Yes. Candace. We started on that woman. Candace Owen. She's a black American... A black American... Trump supporter. 
Um, and there's also a woman called Ariel Scarcella, who's like a, 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 a transphobic lesbian Trump supporter as well. That there are, there are people out there and you think, well, look, they're probably working through their own issues. And I almost feel like I should be gentle with them because, you know, they're, they're, they're working through their own issues particularly. But, you know, hey, they're, they're just desperate for acceptance. Um, Candace Owen though she suffered really badly with anorexia when she was younger um, because she didn't get any help and got through it herself um, somewhat successfully I guess that was under interpretation but she uh, I was seeing an interview with her recently and she very much plays the role of the person who I did it myself so that means that everybody can do it if you're if you're anorexic why are you taking money from the state to get help you can do it yourself and clearly I'm a black woman and I've made something of myself so anyone who's whinging because they're black it's their own fault they should just get out and make it work I did so you can and it's just like so she denies the fact uh, I think she made her own way before she married somebody. No, I'm um, not saying she got there because of that, but I was just asking. I think she, she is married. Yeah, I, I think so. It's like when you knock on the door yeah. of these people, you knock you knock on the door of these kind of people who've got they've got working class accents, um, but they've obviously made it in business to some degree. They're, 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 they're small businessmen. They're like you know got their own business. They employ like half a dozen people, and because and you often get it to BBC. The BBC will do like a vox pop. They'll go through some sort of northern town and they'll talk to somebody who's got a working class accent. So knowing that their their viewers will think they're working class people. But they're not working class people at all. You know, they're they're just they're, they're businessmen. Um, but they 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 were born into the working class. And and you said that's like you said. Oh, I made it. So why can't these lazy bastards? You know. And I I, I canvassed them in, in Chingford. There's lots of them in Chingford, which is a marginal seat which we just failed to win last time. Although we had a swing to Labour in that seat, I should point out. But we um, but we still failed to win it. And you know, and you, and you say, well, okay, yeah, but you did you did do this, but you didn't do it on your own. You you had like all these benefits from from the seventies, all that all that stuff that we that kids these days don't get. You could buy your own house, you could buy your own house, you could you you, know, you, you could survive, you could succeed in a way that your kids won't be able to. And it's very often, it's very interesting. Sometimes you get some old Tory, so some semi-detached Tory voter with a with a SUV in the front uh, garden. You know, when you open your heart sinks when you have to canvass them. You know the ones I mean. <laughs> and uh and and, and they're giving it all this about you know uh, that that corbyn oh, i'll never vote for labor while that corbyn's there and of course they never voted they haven't voted labor for 40 years truthfully that's they haven't voted for labor since since anyone since ever since Harold wilson but then you often find their teenage kid walks down the corridor and they and they're like really strong labor you know <laughs> because you know because yeah well I'll, I'll never get what my dad's got i'll never be able to afford my own house i'll never be able to survive I'm, I'm sad i'm 23 years old and i've got more debts than my dad ever had in his life you know that's the point that's one of the fun this. things about canvassing I'll, I'll just be really brief here rochelle when you go oh. to someone's door and you know how that person's voted in the past and they go i've been labor all my life i've never wanted to vote anyone else <laughs> and then you look and it says funny that because it says you voted lib dem in 2013 <laughs> yeah you know you told us that you hated us and you didn't want to (laughs) it's it's funny we do uh sorry rochelle all right we we um i'm a i'm a durham county council candidate right ray so we have to do we do food food banks we do call banks so i was on one of the phone banks today and um it was the first time i've ever done it first time i've ever used anything like that like ringing out and um we had like when you're talking about like what they voted for previously, 
literally on the screen it was like past past voting I can't remember the terminology but it was literally like conservative and I was like oh no there's no way there's no way of skipping that person and moving on to the next one I was like and it was like my third ever call out that I've ever done canvassing and I was like it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and she was really nice she was really nice she was really polite she was like no I hate Labour but I'm I'm a vote conservative and I hate Labour and I was like okay great you're really polite about it (laughs) thank you bye (laughs) I always like canvassing the Tory houses I couldn't. I, 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 I always think I can win, but I, I, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, so I always think I can win everyone back. I waste like forty minutes on the door. I know you're <laughs> terrible. I always run the board and wait for you for like half an hour. I'm like, you can <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it's when they chase you up the front path. You want to start worrying. That's the trouble. Oh my god, that happens as well with your leaflet to throw back at you. Yeah, <laughs> no. it's really bad when they do no. that. Yeah, we, enjoy that. We got, that, we, we got a lot because of the the ridiculous spin around Corbyn last time. We got like um, some people. Actually, it was really we we were canvassing with um, an, uh, someone who's ex armed forces, really really lovely fellow called Gary, um, and he was canvassing on the doors with us. And he posted a leaflet through the door when someone didn't answer, and they came out and threw it in his face. He says, "How dare you do this to our armed forces?" We're like. You've just attacked a veteran. You've just thrown this in a veteran's face. You know, I don't. He didn't like literally throw it in his face, but he threw it at him. Mm-hmm. And you, you think, you know, there's a veteran there. You, you don't really care about veterans, do you? You don't yeah. care about them being homeless on the street. You don't care about that kind of stuff. You care about maybe what's in the media because eventually apologize to the guy but like someone who had served if they cared that much about it they should have been immediately like whoa i'm sorry but Mm. it wasn't like that yeah wow he was really handy to have out on the doors as well especially in the corbin era because he was actually a veteran who served in northern ireland um so when we got the whole well he's an ira sympathizer a terrorist this guy would just go and have a chat with him and they'd be like oh okay (laughs) <laughs> he was brilliant um, I wonder if he's going to be out this time around but we don't have Corbyn anymore I don't think we'll have that argument at all no I mean is it, are we allowed to swear on this channel I'm not sure we are yeah yeah holy shit yes we are <laughs> I, was, I was counting it was in East End of London it was, a, it was a marginal seat which we just narrowly won it was Dagenham and Raynham um, we won by 200 votes which thank God we, that's one that we held on to and um but I was, I was canvassing and this guy, his first thing as I knocked on his door, he opened the door and you, you can always tell, like he's in his vest. Do you know what I mean? If he's in his singlet, you know you're onto a loser, really. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he was like, that Tony Blair is a wanger. And I, and I said, yes, I agree with you entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Corbyn is a Marxist wanker. And I said, well, actually, I wish he was, but he's not, actually. <laughs> and he went, then he's like, you're all fucking wankers. And I, said, so I just thought, Okay, sir, shall I just put you down as against then? <laughs> Undec- undecided. <laughs> My, yeah, yeah, undecided. We'll call again if you, if you made your mind up. And he, um, and, and it obviously, my politeness incensed him. Uh, and, he, and he just leant out of his bedroom window upstairs. It was a house. And, uh, and he just screamed, Wanga! Wanga! <laughs> at the, the, all of us. It was like he kept it up for the entire, until we finished the street. He was like, screaming this Wanga out of it. Oh God! Okay, fair enough. Wow, he's dedicated to his opinion, right? 
in, uh, in was it was it twenty fourteen the Pride came out? Do you ever think that these people might have watched Pride and shed a tear and thought, "Oh, I love these guys," and then it's like when they actually turn up at your door, you're they're like, "Wanker!" I doubt it. I doubt anybody's going to shout "Wanker" at Labour canvassers is going to enjoy Pride. Really, I can't see. I can't imagine. I don't know. It was heartwarming. There's a, it, it's I, quite I do a... confess though, and it's not rational. I'm going to be clear as I'm on live te- live telly sort of thing. I want to be clear, I, I, this is not a rational or a reasonable thought to have, and I feel guilty for having it. But when I canvass people who I obviously clock as being gay, like a couple, and don't, don't ask me how I know, but sometimes I just know, um, and they're like, they're Tories, and I feel like a particular kind of loathing come over me. I just, <laughs> I've, got, I, I've got a particular kind of loathing for gay Tories. I've got no right for that, and it's an outrageous thing for me to think. They've got an entire right to be what they want. But a little bit of me just wants to slap them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, just, I really kind of just want to slap them. But um, I have similar feelings about working class Tories. I'm like, are you daft? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially up here where like our whole communities are based around mining villages. How can you like Tories? What's the matter with you? Yeah. You don't have well, to I, love I, Labour, but you I'd can't love the Tories. Yeah, you can't love them. It doesn't work. I'd find it hard to talk about people who lived through the strike who are now Tories. I'm not sure what I'd say to them. I don't know how that how that conversation would go. Um, It'd probably just be us stood there with just open see, jaws. Yeah. Like, huh? The thing is, it's not their, it's not their fault. They, 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 were, they, were, they were led for decades to believe that Labour could do nothing for them. And, and then as a mixture under Corbyn, a mixture of the, the abuse he suffered from the media and the fact that they made the mistake, I think, of looking like they're promising the world. In the last election, they were, they were pulling out promises out of a hat like rabbits. Uh, and it and it became unbelievable. And I think a lot of people just didn't believe. A lot of people who are working class Tories, you know, they're working class Tories because they just think we're full of shit that we won't ever achieve what we're promising. So they'd rather yeah. vote for real Tories than people who are going to pretend to be good and then let them down. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. My, I think I've just pinpointed where my socialism comes from with that, Ray. You've just enlightened me. I had a teacher in primary school who wrote, you know, when they're writing your book before you leave. And one of my teachers wrote, reach for the stars, even if you only hit the lamppost. And if people could have thought that in the last election, we wouldn't be here now. We'd be all right. Like, is is this Tory government working for you? No. So give someone else a chance, even if they're promising something that doesn't seem possible. It's got to be better than this. And I just, I remember doing it. Um, it was one of the shows, one of the left-wing shows might have been Labour Grassroots or something we were on. And um, John McDonnell was on and we were talking about the handling of coronavirus and stuff. And somebody said to him, how different would it have been if Jeremy Corbyn was in charge from 2017? Oh, his little face, he looked like he wanted to cry. And then I was like, oh my God. Honestly, I do think it would have been well we'd have had what i don't even know how long ago it was now like five six years of um investing in the nhs and and getting us ready for for this we wouldn't still be in lockdown a year later we wouldn't have we wouldn't be up in the hundreds of thousands of deaths i really firmly believe that um but you can't seem to tell anyone now because everyone has so many people who've just gone well he's trying his best oh i know i can't stand that oh, well, I can't I like like he's a kid who came last in his primary school sprint race yeah mm-hmm. he, <laughs> tried his he best. lost his shoe on the way down like he yeah, lost like, his yeah. shoe <laughs> fell over and he tried what yeah, like his butler was chasing him with a with a thing that was <laughs> distracting him mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like me in woodwork when i <laughs> 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 make something in woodwork take it home to me dad 
who was very handy with his hands. He was like a manual worker. And it was very good at that sort of stuff. And I was terrible at woodwork and things like that. Uh, it's all to do with the testosterone, I think, whatever. <laughs> and so I was terrible at woodwork. And I'd bring home these things. And I was right, pleased as punch. And my dad would say, that's lovely, son. What is it? What is it, though? What, what actually is And, uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, well, he, oh, well, he did his best. I think my, my PE teacher said, you know, well, he's not a natural athlete, but he always tries his best. I think, oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> basically, it meant, basically, it meant I spent, I spent, if I was playing cricket, I was on the outfield, like, chewing grass. <laughs> uh, and, if, and if I was playing football, I stood by the goalie, chatting to the goalie, who was just as uh, sportingly inept as I was, really, hoping the ball would not come anywhere near us. Despite a lifelong ambition to be prime minister, he's not a natural prime minister, but he tries his best. Yeah, well, he doesn't really, does he, Boris Johnson? But it, unless you think yeah. his best is terrible. No. When we were calling, when we were calling out today, one of the questions we were asking was like, on a scale of one to nine, one being poor, nine being really good. The first question was, um, how well do you think this government have handled the coronavirus crisis? And this, like, one of the ladies that I spoke to today was like, nine, they've done really well. And then I literally had to physically bite my tongue in my mouth. I've never had to do that ever. Like, I literally was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just down the phone. Like, are you kidding? I really, how? So many questions. Like, how? how? Where does that even come from? <laughs> how, do they, how, do they, how do we live in the same place? And you think that that is true? Well, the thing is, Rochelle, it's not that he's done how well he's done. It's just that nobody is suggesting they could do better. Uh, yeah, there was that. Outside, well. outside Piers Morgan, no, one, no one's holding him to account. And how so, weird that Piers Morgan is holding him to account. What's up there? I feel dirty whenever I say it, really. I don't like... Mm. He's got his own reasons for doing it. He's not doing it for... I don't know why he's doing it, but he's not doing it for good reasons. He'll have his own agenda. Ah. See, this scares me more, though, when you've got right-wing media moguls yeah. back in mm-hmm. Labour... Um, why are they well, getting the money from the same people? Well, yeah, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think Piers Morgan's back in Labour. I think. Uh, I think he's just opposing the government. Um, and of course, you know, you've, you've got a situation where the the, the Labour opposition, in a situation where the government's literally killing people in large numbers, the Labour opposition is still behind. And you think, how does that work again? Really, how does that work? Yeah. You've got so, to open your mouth and say something to be if the in opposition, opposition. If the opposition's not opposing, then how is that woman supposed to give anything other than a nine? Because she thinks, oh well, it's bound to be this way because there's no option, there's no alternative to it. And she said, and people like that, they don't they don't research the situation in other European countries or how well it's been dealt with in New Zealand. They just don't care about that. They just think, oh well, the country's doing its best. We're all pulled together. I think, I think what will happen is that people kind of. It will take a while. People will, will ponder on this year and it will all come out in anger in a couple of years' time, actually. Mm. At, the moment, something... at the moment, people are just kind of, you know, let's just get it, let's just get past it, you know? Do you think it has anything to do with, like, the way that the media are portraying it, though? Like, with with, with all of it, well, with all of the media at the minute? See, I think it's mixed. I, th- I think there's a, there's a mixed problem going on here and I'll use an example that just happened this week. So we've got a Tory MP here in Sedgefield and he's called Paul Howell. And the other day, he, to, to his credit, he turned up to a meeting with the TUC um, who were campaigning for a, a fair wage for key workers, for a wage uplift for all key workers. Great, back that entirely. And, uh, you know, I was there in the background. But um, what he said was, 
he totally respected key workers. He thinks they're absolutely great. His dad was a fireman. He did all these different things. And then when challenged on it, they said, well, will you write to the chancellor and say they deserve a pay rise? And he says, well, I don't see what good that would do. Because um, if they got a pay rise, then, you know, what if shop workers don't get a pay rise? And you're like, you don't understand because if, if they get a pay rise, there's more money in the economy and then shop workers would have to get a pay rise. Or you could say, you know, you could have a, a greater minimum wage. So anyway... To cut a long story short, he said that he didn't want to give key workers a pay rise, even though he really supported them. So I put this on my Facebook page, and there was someone who I would consider now a working-class Tory, um, said, well, you know, you're always having a snipe at the Tory. What did Phil Wilson ever do for us? Now, that is the way people feel around here, because that they feel let down by the Labour Party. And yep. and and this isn't this has never gone out publicly before, but quite a few of my friends know this story. When I went out, and out, out went out and canvassed with Phil Wilson in 2017, um, his team were whether well, the person running the board um, was noting down every household that said they didn't like Corbyn. And on that day, there were three people who said they didn't like Corbyn. What wasn't noted was there were five people who said they didn't like Phil Wilson and seven people who said they didn't like Tony Blair. You know, this is a legacy issue. This is a long-running thing. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, th th there's a big problem. <laughs> there's a big problem with the Labour Party and the perception. And I don't think the right wing of the Labour Party burying the heads is going to make that go away. Um, you know, you're not going to win back the red wall, which doesn't exist, by the way. The red wall isn't a thing. It isn't a place. But you're not going to win win back these seats that you've lost by just assuming going back to Blairism will work. I mean, I, in Bolsover, which always Dennis Skinner's seat was lost. I mean, Dennis used to get like 75, 80 percent back in the 70s when he first he took he, he took the seat in 1970, which is extraordinary. I was 11 years old when Dennis Skinner entered Parliament. Um, but the, by, by 2015, his vote had fallen to 50%. So the, the real collapse in Dennis's vote was through Blairism and New Labour. Corbyn, in 2017, there was a slight, very slight, I have to say, a slight uptick, but then it obviously collapsed again through the Brexit fiasco. But most of the damage was done through those years. And it's not just the governments. It's like, yeah, frankly, years and years of complacent, establishment local councils local councils that are seen they're not seen as representing they're seen as kind of local worthies they're seen as jobs worths they're seen as they're seen as you know they, they present themselves as local important people i don't know they, they haven't got that sense of you know what i mean i can't find a word for it really but there's that there's a whole series of, of of rotten councils and rotten councillors all over the all over the north only the north because that's where the safe seats are you get in safe labor areas you tend to get a concentration of complacent and lazy representatives you know that's why that's why it was so easy for the smp to destroy labor in scotland because yeah. you know labor had ruled scotland the central belt of scotland all that time and people thought well we've got nothing out of this so let's try something new but this is this is the problem you've got as well because like you know i'm like uh, i know a lot of councillors and and most of them I would say now we're about to have a county council campaign and most of them are dedicated and, and really care about this. And I'll 
people who supported Tony Blair as well, by the way, there are some really, really good local councillors who I would vote for as my local councillor if I lived in that area, without a doubt, because they're just community people. There's some people who are apolitical, yeah. and yeah. there are some, and there are some people who are kind of slightly Labour, generally Labour, but don't really get involved in the national side of it. Just see the local thing, and that's great. You know, I can't help but see the big picture. And that's where I always go. But actually, sometimes I really admire people who just see their local situation and think, what can I do? But so, then you've also got um, you've you've also got some people who were like, well, I want to be a councillor. How do I do that? I'll be I'll join the Labour Party. And, yeah. and we do suffer from that. And we do suffer from people not being committed to the Labour Party, not knowing anything about the Labour Party. But then sometimes I think, do I not know anything about the Labour Party? Because I look into the history of it and I think, yeah, it's not as left-wing as I, <laughs> as no. I um, had um, allowed myself to imagine. There are certain type of people that wherever they lived, they want to be a councillor. So wherever they lived, they joined the party that was in control of the council. That, you know, if they lived if they lived in Surrey, they'd be Tory councillors. If they lived in yeah. Durham, they'd be Labour councillors. You know what I mean? Um, and also, there are there are people. I mean, I've got a local councillor in my ward. I mean, he's not a Corbynist. He's a, he's an extremely nice bloke, and I like him enormously. Um, but he's I've never voted for Corbyn. He's not a, a supporter of Corbyn, and, and he's not even particularly left in Labour Party terms. But as you said, he's he's a marvellous councillor, and he's been doing it for forty years. And and he knows every paving stone. He knows he know, he knows every 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 door he knocks on. He knows them and their parents and their kids. You know, he said, "Oh yes, I, I know you. I know your grandmother, and you, you know, and how and, and how's your grandma? How's your grandma's uh, new new home adaptations going and stuff?" And the, he knows everybody. You know, and he's generally well regarded. And he's been elected for forty years, um, and we get about seven between seventy and seventy seven percent of the poll in my ward. I live, in, I live in one of the safest Labour wards, in one of the safest Labour boroughs in the country. Even in London, can you believe it? Yeah? You Geordie people. There are proper proper working class communities and, and Labour strongholds in, yeah. in London. Who knew? I'm, I'm never one of those people who um, belittle, belittle the working class <laughs> of London. Oh, it gets mm-hmm. on my wick. That, that writing off of working class Londoners really gets on my wick, I have to confess. But there we are. Hmm. So, yeah, so he's a good guy. I'd vote for him. I'd vote for him easily, you know. Yeah. And he, but he doesn't. He doesn't involve himself in factional stuff. He's not. He wasn't. He didn't vote for Corbyn, but he was never anti-Corbyn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there are others, shall we say, who 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 are clearly anti-Corbyn, and they they were, they were plotting against him from the beginning, and uh, and they're different kind of people. But uh, did we tell you about recall motion that we got through at Sedgefield the other day? I don't know. We didn't the recall conference. Yeah, we, we've uh, put a recall motion through for a recall conference. Um, Laura's just gone off, and that, that's not me. She's using, obviously using No, I noticed she, she's been using your name for the whole thing, by the way. I don't know if people, people are confusing. Uh, we, I, I see what the viewers see, so, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I didn't really realise that she was using my name. But, you know, fair enough. She can use my name if she likes. She can use any name she wants. Um, but... Yeah, we we put a recall motion through, and there were some sort of funny shenanigans around uh, people trying like trying to get the vote cancelled through a technicality and things like that. But it was really interesting because we are Sedgefield. We have people who are left wing. We have people who are right wing. We have people who would be 
unequivocal in their support for Tony Blair, and we voted 87% in favour, and I think the next highest highest was abstention for recall conference motion because they're so frustrated at the undemocratic things going on in the Labour Party. So it does a cut across factional lines like a lot of things do in Sedgefield. You know, mm. it's, a, it's, it's an interesting area because most of it, it's just about getting democracy back because of how the Labour Party has been perceived locally to be undemocratic. Yeah, my local CLP is, is, is it's always been left. It, even before Corbyn, long before Corbyn, it was a traditional left CLP. Um, but there are people in it who are not Corbynistas at all, but are horrified by the way the party is going in terms of its internal structures and what's happened. Horrified. Uh, and, and they could be won over on that issue. They could be won over on that issue. They're, they're, they're angry. They're genuinely angry. Because, you know, they don't agree with my politics, but they don't hate me. You know, they, re- they recognise the job I do and how valuable my... And how they know that I'm loyally canvassing for where's streeting, you know. They, 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 I, I, I canvass for anybody in a, in a, in a marginal seat who's, who needs to be canvassed for, you know. I, I, I still feel a little bit dirty after that, though. I do. I do have a... I did recommend a bath in Dettol whenever I finished. <laughs> I came home and gave myself a decile scrub down. But nevertheless, I mean, you know, it, it was in 2017, we thought that seat was marginal. But of course, thanks to Jeremy, he got a 9,000 majority. Um, but I would, I'd canvass, you know, I'd canvass for anybody where we where it was a marginal seat. I wouldn't I wouldn't care in the election how right-wing they were. And, and so the idea is that there are people who recognise that I am a, you know, a, a, a hard-working party member. And they would... Um, They'd resent if I if I were suspended or expelled, they would deeply resent that, regardless of whether they agree with my politics or not. And you know, as, as you, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat to the left. I think you'll probably have intuited from my interview. Um, <laughs> even in, even in even inside the Labour left, I'm probably on the left side of the left in Labour left. But you know, I'm a I'm a good I'm a hard worker for the party. That, that's important as well and that's important for people on the right as well you know and and you've acknowledged people do that um mark lungley has said the issue we have is there are a lot of career politicians we need to get true working class people into elected office but there are so many who should stand but don't because of one thing or another there is one who won't stand for labor as a as a prospective parliamentary candidate as they don't have a degree and you just think well you know it, it shouldn't be a prerequisite to have a degree, yeah, you know, and it's, I, I remember actually thinking about this before because I got a Desmond degree and I was thinking if I ever like, you know, what attacks would the, what would the um, level at me, you know, for having, would, would it be, oh, you got a Desmond, you know, would that be? Uh, you have to explain that to people. A, De- a Desmond tutu. Yeah. I got a tutu as well. Yeah, well, back in the days when well, you used to get two twos. Given my mental breakdown in my second year and the amount of alcohol I consumed, a two two, I was actually very relieved to get. To be honest, <laughs> I, work, I worked through it. I was I was very nearly a two one, but it was in the days where twenty five percent of people got a two one or above. Yeah. Now yeah, it's seventy five percent of people get two one or above. But you know, my second year of uni was a kind of um, that's when all of my issues just kind of imploded. And and I, I did nothing for a year. I, I I you know I lost it completely in my second year. So then so I only ended up with a two two. But there we are. Can't it's be. A, it's a solid working class thing to do. Go and get a Desmond. You know. <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> Not wrong Turn with a two two. 
But the thing is, you don't need a degree anyway. That's the point. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah, of course. When I went to uni, my in my first year, we used to go to the student union, and um, I used to smoke back then. So we literally used to sit in uni and smoke and drink in the student union bar and not go to lectures. I shouldn't really say that. No, none of my students, I didn't say that. Um, but then the, the obviously the smoking ban came in, so you weren't allowed to smoke in the student union bar anywhere. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do it. You weren't allowed to smoke on ground. You had to literally leave the grounds and go off site and do all of this. And then every everybody in my year group, all the 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 um, the marks rose because we weren't spending that much time in the uni, <laughs> like at the uni bars. Oh my god, you're so young. I think, <laughs> I think I could smoke all the time in my union bar, and it was opposite nah. my classroom. And they used to give me four hour gaps between the lecture and then the seminar following it. And I was like, no. oh, that's dangerous. I'm clearly never getting to that. Yeah, I'm seminar. never going to get a part two. Like. <laughs> See, you've inspired Carl to get a to get a rollie. Apparently, I think I hope I pronounced it right. If not, it's my accent. He did tell me how to pronounce it earlier on. Um, yeah, Laura, I think they brought in the smoking ban while you were at uni. Really? I think so. I graduated in two thousand and ten. I think. Oh, I see. I graduated in two thousand and six, and I went to uni late. <laughs> <laughs> The, the sad thing is, even if we got, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see in a, a house commons made up of people who worked in Tesco's or Starbucks or or Amazon or Sports Direct. That's what you need. Um, and we used to have that, by the way. We actually used to have much more, never completely, but much more of that. The Labour Party, Labour benches. I, I saw a play. It was set in the kind of late 70s. It was a play and it was all... And it was clear from the, a lot of the, the rank and file Labour MPs, backbench Labour MPs in the 70s were from clear working class backgrounds. I have to say, though, sadly, being working class does not stop you from being a right wing shite. Yeah, there are plenty of impeccable working class MPs whose politics are despicable. Uh, and you can get a situation where you you go there as a working class MP and you're you're intimidated by it. They, they make you it's to do with the McDonald around McDonald Day, all these, all these, all these working men were elected, and instead of having contempt for the place, which is what you should have, you should just have contempt for its frippery. They were in awe of it. They, they, they were so grateful to be allowed into this kind of holy and holies, and to, they were amazed to be accepted as equals by these, uh, by these people who were their betters, so to speak. But they, they deferred to all this, and so you get a lot of like lot of working class Labour MPs. You go to Parliament and just kind of, you know. Um, they just they just buy into the system completely. They see it, also they see it. You know, there is a there is a very famous leading Labour Party um, MP who re- goes on and on about uh, their um, poverty stricken teenage years, um, but then talk about how well they've done, how well they have done to um, to subsequently. And now look at me, I'm a Labour MP, and I'm I've reached the dizzy heights of the shadow cabinet. And you think. Yeah, being a Labour MP isn't a personal achievement, you know. You're supposed to be there for other people. You're supposed to be there to fight for everyone else, you know. It's so funny you say that because I heard a Labour MP today tell me the same story I have heard about eight times. (laughs) Like, this is, do you, you probably don't know this, but this was my childhood and I'm like, yeah, I do know this. Yeah. But look what I have achieved. Yeah. (laughs) All right. It's good to have Labour MPs who are working class, but you find... Those Labour MPs were from working class backgrounds. 
it's usually it's either obvious from accent or it's unstated, you know? Those who go on and on and on and on about the deprived childhood, you think, yeah, you're making a political point out of this. You're using this to hide something else. And even even when a particular Labour MP, I, even when I supported them, um, I was still kind of un, uneasy about how often this issue was raised. Mm -hmm. um, and as it's turned out, my suspicions were correct. So mentioning no names. I think we might be talking about the same person, but I will I mention. Well, invidious to mention any names, but I'm sick of I'm sick to death of people trading on their their their, their, their trading on their um, on their poverty stricken youth, and now they've got the opportunity to shaft the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, there's been a couple of funny comments, by the way. Um, I can I just shout out to Tom Greenwood? Can I just shout out to Tom Greenwood, who's yeah. my mate from my own from my own Labour Party, and I'm glad he's watching. All right, mate. Hello, Tom. <laughs> hey, Tom. Really good to meet you. Diamond. Be become a member of Socialist Think Tank. It's free. <laughs> um, oh, um, so, oh, he's, so good, he's, he's, he's in the awkwardness. And he's in the late past. He's under 35, so he's cold dust. Well, that, that's it. You know, it's, it's youth. Did I, um, no. It's funny with, um, with regards to socialists and youth. Youth things when it like isn't it under twenty seven? You're a young member of Young Labour. Yeah, yeah, under twenty seven. I had an under thirty <laughs> thing for my trade union. If you're under thirty, you're a, you're a young member. It's quite mm. quite funny. I always thought when I was a young member of the year uh, at twenty nine or something, <laughs> like that, some sort. Of it's changed I, a lot. In it, sorry, Rochelle, you go. No, it's all right. No, you go. In the eighties, when I was active, I mean LGSM. Anybody over thirty was considered to be an elder statesman, like a like an old <laughs> LGSM. Ninety percent of us, I would say, were under thirty. Very many of us were between twenty and twenty-five, twenty-six. I was twenty-five. Mark was younger, year younger than me. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's it's extraordinary how young we were. And I think any political meeting I went to in the eighties, you'd be lucky to find. 10% of the of the meeting over 35. Now you go to a, a meeting on the left and, that, and that's the, the far the far left and the Labour Party left. You're, you know, thank God it's slowly changing, but you, you there's a real, real shortage of people under 40, let alone under 30. You know, there's there's a gap. And I think there's a gap between the kind of the, the Obi-Wan Kenobis and the little pud ones, and there's no one in between, you know, there's, there's, mm. there's there needs to be a kind of a I think we lost a lot in the Blair years, and now there's the new generation, new generation like people like Tom and, and people that I'm, I, I I just love that new generation coming through who are fired up, fired up with kind of enthusiasm to like learn the lessons of the Corbyn years, and it's like yeah, we'll get them next time. It's good. We went to early momentum meetings, didn't we, Laura? And um, it was before it was called momentum. It was Jeremy Corbyn for leader, and before that mailing list became momentum. And I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of of where it went after that. But um, we we did, and we would have these like young speakers. So we had Harry Cross, who was the chair, who was who was young but absolutely fantastic. And I've interviewed him, and uh, he he did a brilliant thing on economics, one of my earliest interviews, and explained it so well. Um, and then Charlotte Austin, I remember her coming, and she was I was a teacher, and she was a sixth form student, and she was there, and she and I just thought this was brilliant that someone who I was who who could have been in my lesson earlier on you know, because I was teaching at a school that had a sixth form, was 
basically a, an, an authority figure, if you like. You know, I don't like to think of chairs and secretaries and stuff as authority figures because it's a it's a facilitating thing. But her to be given the opportunity to do that, and she's absolutely outstanding. She's in the Durham Miners Gala film as well. I know that um, both Ray and Laura both in that film as well. Um, and she's such a good character, but those are the type of people now that have been driven away from the party. Mm. You know, and, and they've been driven away yeah. from the Labour Party because actually it's back to business as usual. We'll all become over 50s, you know. And do you know what it's going to end up being like? Once they get rid of the left wing, it'll end up being like fist fights between the Blairites and Brownites like it used to be before the left wing got control of the party as well because that used to happen factional battles in the labor party aren't restricted to just the left blairites and brownites fist fights in newcastle just like google it it's it it happened i think um if if, in in the initial given given this what we're going through now it's inevitable that many people are going to leave the party the thing is I, I, i i'm not despondent about that they just you hang on to whether you're whether you're in or out of the party there's a layer of of radical radicalized younger people and even a re-radicalized older people and some are in the party some will have left and some won't but i think the important thing is to keep in contact with all of them and to build a movement to build a movement ready for because the world as i said in my own interview you know the the world something's going to go bang soon and we need to be we need to be around we need to be ready for it when it goes bang people people are just they're just kind of mulling it all over just now and it will they'll, they'll they'll get angry and something will snap and we need to and people outside the party people inside the party there'll be one movement and we need to just kind of go for it i, I think people should stay and i'd encourage people to stay but if somebody leaves they're not gonna i'm not gonna cast them out of darkness because they've left you know joe solo is like a diamond i don't think he should have left the labor party but i don't care that he has and he's still a diamond and i'll work with him on anything I yeah uh, I'd I'd had it's weird that you talk about all these things. So I had this experience, right? So basically, um, I was a member of the Labour Party for a long, long, long time. Since I was young, I used to work in a pub where um, our local MP used to drink, and loads of people that I knew used to drink in there. And it was like it was literally pubs and politics from like a really young age, and that's where that's where all of my knowledge came from. And then. When I'd when I'd when I'd left and gone to uni and then came back and then I'd had like a break like what Ray was talking about type I'd had, I'd had like a break from politics I'd had my kids and I was teaching and then like pandemic and then we well we had the Corbyn and I'd, I'd I nearly I nearly joined again and then I wasn't and then that like and then the thing that really got me what you're talking about there is like. That, that thing that makes you want to like call to arms, like your action, like you want to go and do something. And it was the whole, for me, it was the PPE thing. I've talked about the Lords, but it got on my absolute nerves. And I thought, you know what? They don't care about us. We need to do something. I've got, I've got kids in school who have aunties and uncles who go to work and that haven't got any PPE, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I'd facilitated this thing at school and middle of the PPE and all the kids helped and it was really good. And then it was like out of that, someone had said, like, have you not thought about being like a like a, a counselor? And I was like, oh no, like God, they get loads of stick. Like they'll, they'll get loads of stick, they'll be hell on. I've got two young kids. I don't want to like bring them into a type of thing. Anyway, the more I thought about it, I thought, I've been able to do this, so I might I might be able to do something later on. Anyway, 
joined, I'm now a candidate, blah, blah, blah. And one of the first things I posted on this candidate's page is um, I'd helped with this um, project and same. So all I'd done was I'd went to a meeting, I went to one meeting, listened to what they wanted, and then I produced some like visualizations of what it could look like at the end. And then like, yesterday on, the, on an opposition page, someone had commented and said like, oh, young labor taking credit for what they haven't done. And then like, I would never retaliate and say like, oh, actually, yes, I did because I'd love to, but I haven't got time. Like ultimately I'd rather be doing something else. But I just thought like, what a load of crap. Like I did do them. I did do, I did do those things. And the fact that somebody is already trying to distribute, like disrupt the fact that I did, like is hilarious. This is exactly what I wanted to avoid standing as a counselor or anything like that but now that it's actually happened i just think like what a load of shit like isn't it though really isn't it a load of shit all this propaganda people are going to talk about you people are going to say anything you want like i just i think the whole thing needs to change like they shouldn't be allowed to just talk shite about and you know do things that they want to do or Oh, I don't know. I'm trying not to rant and we should say this. Forward. We should say this more. We should call it out more. People who yeah. don't do anything, yes. having a go at people who do do things is really frustrating. Some like, Labour people spin. don't do anything, but you yeah. do. They made it spin as if like she came to one meeting and I was like, yeah, I did. I was also nine months pregnant that you didn't, like you haven't actually told the world about because if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. I was nine months pregnant. I only had to come to one meeting because, funnily enough, I had a little list and I wrote down what you wanted and then I went away and I did it. Mm-hmm. What I don't expect to then happen is just because I've, as a person, said, oh, I've done this. But just because we come from pole opposite ends of the political spectrum, you can then turn around and say, well, no, you didn't. Because I still did. And it's and it's that thing of, like, needs to change, totally needs to change. The whole culture does though. Like that that is a perfect example of why people don't get involved because it's like, oh, hang on, you, you've got to have your brownie points and mm-hmm. you've got to have been to like 50 meetings and you've got to have been out and canvassed and knocked on doors. And no, I could come to one meeting and make a difference. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But it there is a whole and it's in the Labour Party massively that well, I've never seen you at a meeting before. Well, that's because I've got 10 small children and 50 dogs at home and I can't get to a meeting. And now that the pandemic's happened, I can zoom in. So it's it's pathetic. It really is. And I, I have to go on record and say, I know a lot of people who are really hard workers. I am yet to meet anybody <laughs> like Rochelle, who you will literally go, this might be an idea. And then literally five minutes later, it's done. And Michelle's like, here you go. <laughs> so I can well believe that you went to one meeting and went away and did it all for them. Mm. Um, and if and you know what? If it's sort of right-wingers or Tories or what have you, sort of having a go at you, you're doing something right. If you're pissing them off, you're pissing the right people uh, off. That's what Rob said. Rob was like, don't show me any more, Michelle. <laughs> kind of cope. That's his okay. <laughs> He just wants to go out there and talk to everybody. <laughs> my first meeting when I stood as chair, they said um, that, that when when uh, when my name was read out as going for chair, they went. Someone shouted, "Paul Daly, who's he?" <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> and then, and like to to belittle me. And then the second meeting, they tried to get me to stand down, and that has happened at a number of meetings where they're just gone. Are you going to resign? No. No. <laughs> Not today. 
It's Not like every single election, just before the election, Paul gets asked to step down for one reason or another. Mm. And after the election, I get no, like, I some, somebody says something about why I shouldn't have been elected. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> every single election you can guarantee it like I'm secretary now for Sedgefield but I shouldn't be because I'm Paul's wife and there's too much power in one household <laughs> and, <laughs> I'll be uh, accusing yeah. you of wearing the trousers at home now <laughs> yeah. hey that's alright I'll just do what I'm told that's, uh, that's always good um, oh, <laughs> Leanne Powell said the subtitle said Paul Daly that's okay I'll, 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 I'll accept that Um yeah, they they were trying to get get me to stand down for a number of reasons. Remember, my, I think my favourite one was when they tried to get me to stand down to just give someone else a chance Aww. because oh, yeah, because right. you, because you're such a terrible person, but you're also popular. So I have no chance of winning this election. No, the <laughs> argument was for democracy. You should stand down. For the sake of democracy, because I've had the role for too long and because too many people are voting for me, I should stand down for the sake of democracy. Yeah, yeah it's like but the, the right were never kind of, they never held on to positions for like 30 years until new members of the party's full up. That never happened, no. Right. Mm. <laughs> so I think we are coming to a close here because we've been on for two hours. This is a good good wow. length of stream, this. We? We've done all right. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's flown by because we're nice people. And um, we normally have a couple of minutes chat after this as well, where we probably name names and all sorts of things. Thank you so much for everyone who com- who, who commented tonight. If you want to get in a last minute question, please do. If there's any if if there's a, if there's any last minute question, I'm just going to come round the panel. I'm going to come to Ray last as the special guest. I'm not going to make any closing comments personally. But anyone want to make any closing comments, Laura? what on everything we've talked about tonight there's so much on anything just any any sort of closing comments do you want to do you want to tell people you know whatever you want to do it's all it's all free for all tonight don't be a dick (laughs) (laughs) it's a good point that well made mine will be don't just draw dicks But if you do, draw them detailed. <laughs> Anatomically. Yeah, just, just to convince people you've actually got one. <laughs> because we drawing, from, drawing from life, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Ray, anything anything you'd like to finish off on? It's been a really good discussion. And I do think well, that the, the important thing about what everything you've said is the title of this was Solidarity. Well, I was going to um, hit that theme, yeah. Yeah, and, and we we're doing that, and you've shown that I think the main bulk of the conversation was on the trans community and solidarity with with trans people. So yeah, I mean, you. you know, clearly, I mean, my my local Labour Party does work with trade union struggles. It's, I mean, it's not like I'm a full time trans activist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not even a full time gay activist anymore because there's no need to be really. I said I said I'm I'm the chair of my Labour Party. I'm just the chair of my Labour Party. I'm not the gay chair of the Labour Party. I'm just the chair, my sexuality now, as it should be, is irrelevant. And that that hopefully, I, I look forward to today when we don't have to discuss trans rights at all, you know. I said, there's, there's, a, there's a, a great trans YouTuber who once said, 
Um, she's really looking. She's really looking forward to being for, for trans people no longer to be oppressed because there's so many really funny things about being trans that the transphobes always they never get. They always make stupid, samey nonsense jokes. But there's some actually gay trans people can be really funny, but you can't tell the jokes because we're we're too you know because trans people are, are too oppressed to, for people to understand the jokes. But I mean, on solidarity, I think it, it's 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 really good. I think it's a word often banded around is solidarity, but We've got nothing else other than that, really, because we've got no money, we've got no press, we've got no police, we've got no army. The, literally, the only thing working people have got is solidarity. And, and of course, our enemies know that, and they'll try anything to set one group of workers against another. And, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, women and black people and trans people and gay LGBT people, I know that many of them are not working class, but that's, that's fine. That's their life. I'm worried about our people. I'm worried about working class people, our side. And inside our movement, we need to, to have unity. Now, we don't just insist on unity. We earn the right. I mean, yeah, we, we earn the right for, for, for LGBT people and black people and women to put their trust in us. But we build solidarity. It's, no good, it's not good enough just fighting for your... If you're, if you're trans, it's no good just fighting for trans stuff. You've got to fight for every other trade unionist. You've got to join your union. You've got to fight against racism. You know, you've got to do all that stuff. So it's solidarity solidarity is all there is because that's all we've got <laughs> it's the only weapon working people have got 